Is Scotland on an economic train journey to socialism? You be forgiven for thinking so, and you might be convinced. Welcome to Constable Confidential. I'm Simon Constable. Joining us today on his debut on, on this show is Alan Quinn. He's an entrepreneur, a Glasgow-based chairman, non-executive director, and investor. He's been very busy working very hard in many ways to make Scotland better. Thanks for joining us, fine sir. Thank you very much, Simon. Very nice to join you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I came across a piece of writing that you had put up on LinkedIn, and I thought this was absolutely fantastic. I'm going to read a line from it, uh, and it says, another two and a half years of this failing socialist revolution in Scotland before there's an election to vote these loon balls out. He's talking about the Scottish National Party here. And you go on to say part of this is because of the lack of relevant experience by the leadership group of the Scottish National Party, which which tends to lean quite left, even even by British standards. Tell me more about this. Yes, I mean, on that specific post, um, it was just off the back of the budget where taxes in Scotland for working people were put up to the highest anywhere in the UK and possibly the highest it's been for more than 70 years. We're reliably told on television regularly that taxes in the UK are the highest they've been in the uh, for seven for over seventy years, and Scotland is even higher than that, where it reduced the threshold before you start paying forty six percent tax to forty five percent tax to seventy five thousand pounds. Um, you know, and that that catches a big a bigger part of the population, also, uh, obviously, but it's the part of the population that's really driving Scotland forward. And and all it will serve. So, and, and just to to pause, to pause you there, Alan, that that's a critical thing, is because rich people tend to invest their money into the economy, and that helps the economy. It doesn't just sit idle in bank accounts. Is that is that basically what you're that getting at there? Is, uh, well, absolutely. I mean, that is a big part of it. Um, you know, people who are running businesses, senior managers that are driving their businesses forward for the economic good of everybody to create jobs and wealth, not just to, SNP's all about trying to redistribute things. They just don't seem to get the whole wealth creation story that by creating more jobs, more businesses, freeing up all of the red tape so that companies can grow um, and expand beyond Scotland's shores, they just don't seem to get that, that you can create more wealth. It's just about let's steal more from that working person to give it to this person over here because they've decided this person over here needs more money. Um, you know, there's a constant whinge thon that goes on in Scotland about getting more and more money to some of the bot people in the bottom rung. And those many of those people do need help. And most of those people get lots of help. But for the SNP, it will never be enough. Uh, their utopia, I'd love them to describe it, but certainly I interpret it. They just want everybody to be the same. They want a very high dependency culture in Scotland where too many people are relying on the state because that gives them control and power. Um, and when you look at who's making these decisions for the economic wealth creation in Scotland, we've got six career politicians, two social workers, a teacher and an occupational therapist. They have literally barely spent a single working day in the private sector. They and you do you do point out that the first minister Hamza Youssef, who I have interviewed in the past, quite a long time ago, actually, he said he had a short stint in an O2 call centre. You say, 
yeah, apparently it was a, a, a few months. Um, I don't know exactly how long. Uh, three months was mentioned to me. I, I don't even know if it was that. Somebody else questioned it wasn't as long as that. But literally, a job in between university years, um, you know, he, he worked in a, in a no-to call centre. That's his, that's his view and experience of the private sector. Now, I know that you can't have a utopia cabinet that have experience in all the different sectors as well as public sector, etc. Um, you know, that's unlikely to be the case. But when you've got 10 public sectors steeped in that whole public sector ethos that their, their salaries, their income, aren't really in danger because the public sector will pay their salaries regardless, regardless if they're at work, uh, regardless if they're performing, um, then then they just don't understand the private sector and the pressures on that private sector, that if private sector organisations aren't competing well with all the com competition out there, sometimes global comp competition, then they won't get paid, they won't be in work, the, their businesses will fail. And these 10 people, with barely a day's work in the private sector between them, spend their entire, almost, I mean, over, you know, almost 100% of their time with other public sector people, because that's their job, and, uh, uh, working with the and, and that brings us to And that brings us to the, the, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about, is that in 2022, Scotland nationalised uh, ScotRail, which was a, a, the, the local rail service in the yep. in in Scotland, and the chief operating officer who was appointed had no background in running a railway. Now, I, I think that it would be one of the worst jobs in the world would be to try and run a railway in Britain because even people who have experience doing it find it hard. And her background was she was the chief. She had been an HR executive, human resources executive at a small university in Scotland, small yeah. even by Scotland standard, called the University of West Scotland. And it, it seemed to me it's like, well, hang on a minute. If I was running an oil rig, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily pick anyone who who didn't have, uh, you know, basically petroleum drilling experience. What do you think of this? Is this symptomatic or is this an aberration? It's it's symptomatic. I mean, these this SNP government really. I mean, it's quite sad. They they are deluded. They have convinced themselves that the government is better at running these organisations than companies like Abellio and other companies that run Virgin Trains, etc., across the UK. And yes, we'll all have our uh, complaints about them, no doubt. Um, however, they, they, they cancelled 700 daily services literally the month that they took over responsibility because the, many of the, the, the different elements of it were on strike. Um, they've just put up the prices by 8.7%. That you know the, the the fact that they believe they genuinely believe that a school teacher with no experience in the transport sector whatever can run and manage and provide a vision for the future for ScotRail is is baffling. It, um, it is. This, this is consistent because the previous uh, or the previous company that they nationalised was Ferguson Shipbuilding. Now, the day that shipbuilding in Scotland is the future is a sad, sad day. That was our past. That was 60 plus years ago. My father worked in shipbuilding. They employed tens of thousands of people in heavy engineering. And, in and I, sh I should point out to our North American listeners that, that you, you're based in Glasgow, which is on the Clyde, which was the centre for Scottish shipbuilding because it's a, a, yes. a massive river yes. and, a, and a very important port and has been a very important port for 
uh, well over 200 years. Sorry, do carry yeah. on. It was it was a very important port, and you know Scotland was a, a you know an incredible shipbuilding country uh, for many decades. But that that stopped fifty years ago. It not stopped. It's still it's still going on. We still uh, are very much involved in the MOD contracts, which are that's the Ministry of Def Ministry of Defence yeah, for warships. Ministry of Defence contracts. That's right for the UK government. Nothing to do with SNP or the Scottish government. But they're never shy in trying to take credit uh, for the good work that the government shipbuilding uh, does for the MOD. But to think about nationalising a consistently failed shipbuilding company is just baffling. Um, not only uh, are two ferries six years behind schedule and something like £300 million over budget and still 15 months away from a target ready date, that is the shipbuilding company that they nationalised. They could literally have given, to save 130 jobs or so, they could literally have given everybody a million pounds and closed the business down and Scotland would have benefited more than that being nationalised. That's some, the state of play and, and the conversations within that cabinet. And sometimes things have to have to die. Now, now one of the things, move, moving away from sort of that direct nationalisation thing, there's also been a, a, a big move within the last year, which is rent control was introduced. Now, I lived in New York City for quite a long time, and the, some of the buildings were rent controlled, and it didn't really work. You have been involved and, and are involved in the, the housing sector and in owning real yeah. estate, or what, what Americans call real estate and in Brits call property. What's been your reaction to that, and and how has that affected you? Well, we we everybody everybody in the in the uh, real estate business, you know, were genuinely shocked when that came in. There was two things that came in. One, it was emergency measures that were brought in during COVID, and then COVID ended, and then the Scottish government decided, you know what, everybody just did as they're told when it was in COVID. So why don't we just keep these emergency measures in place? And those emergency measures were eviction bans. So a ban on eviction, even if a tenant wasn't paying their money, wasn't paying their rent, um, even if it was, I mean, only in exceptional circumstances, like really bad um, antisocial behaviour, would it be considered appropriate to, to be granted an eviction order on a tenant. So basically, tenants knew they could do whatever they want, literally, and not pay and still not be evicted. Now, many tenants think, you know, I don't want to do that because that means I won't have a reference when I do decide to move on to another property. I can't go back to my previous landlord and get a reference. But, but many, many tenants on the social uh, side of things, social housing side, they don't think like that. They don't even give that consideration. They just think there's an opportunity here not to pay or mess around with a landlord or do things that are completely inappropriate for somebody living in a property. Um, never mind. The, the, the damage that it can do to the owners of those properties, rental providers. The word landlord is really a poisonous word in Scotland and arguably in the UK, uh, being a landlord of properties. And and, and and the landlords have a lot of pressure on them, and particularly over the last couple of years, because when inflation went up, that meant the maintenance costs for people in your position went up too. What what yeah. what was what was going through Absolutely. your head when when natural gas prices went up, when electricity prices went up, when everything went up? Woof! It, it was it, it looked crazy to me. What was going through your head? 
Well, I mean, a lot when when a tenant, most tenants that live in a property, they are personally responsible for the electricity and gas, etc. But for the for the rental providers, the home rental providers, um, then inflation does mean that other costs go up. But the biggest uh, damage was obviously when interest rates go up. That makes housing more expensive for everybody, whether you're, uh, you know, whether it's for your own home or whether you're a landlord and you've got borrowings for other properties that you've. Uh, provided as a as a as a rental provider, and, and, that, and that is quite. Am I right in saying that that's quite normal for professional uh, r- rental providers? Uh, I like I like the expression um, yeah. to borrow money in order to get decent returns out of it, uh, uh, well, based uh, on absolutely. what you put in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what what a lot, what this government? I mean, I would love ten minutes with them just to try and explain the damage that they've done with this, the eviction ban and the rent controls, because tenants in Scotland have more rights than any other tenants in the rest of the UK, and probably more rights than most other tenants uh, in Europe and maybe even America. If I almost certainly in America, where almost certainly only, in America, almost yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, I, and I'm not that familiar with the American market, but I know it's more a uh, capitalist based and the commercial what they wanted to do I and mean, this is close to communism where they decided to effectively control my assets where they basically said to me i cannot go through a, an eviction or a for a tenant um for a minimum of of the last 18 months because they've decided that uh, it's emergency measures so i'm just going to have to suck it up i understand i lived in uh, edinburgh for Five, five years recent recently and i noted that some people were were seeing things like this go on not not specifics but in general that sort of attitude did you and they and some of them have considered leaving and a, a subset of that have actually left left scotland because they don't feel they yeah. can get a fair shake when running a business have you ever thought about that and i know it's your oh. home it's your homeland but have you ever That's thought about it Absolutely. Uh, I'm actually selling two properties uh, as it stands just now. Um, uh, one is because of the tenant. I mean, I've been a landlord for 32 years and I've only ever had to evict one tenant in 32 years. Um, and now I'm having to go through that process again, sadly, because they, they, they take it, you know, they, they, they take strength from SNP effectively saying, if you can't afford it, just don't pay a landlord. I mean, that's literally the message that's getting sent out. But coming back to the economy, those two decisions to introduce eviction bans, regardless if they were paying their rent or not, and a rent control, literally cancelled over £1 billion of build-to-rent projects scheduled in Glasgow. In Glasgow alone, over £1 billion of rent-to-build projects were cancelled so, or so the, delayed. The, the, these would these would be uh, homes that were going to be con- going to be constructed with the idea of renting them out, and those Correct. things got cancelled. And is this the same SNP that complains consistently about a housing shortage in Scotland? That's 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 right, Scott. It's just incredible, uh, and they have not accepted that. That that's the you know they, they try to they, they, what they don't understand in the private sector is we tend to just elements of control like that that are so um, out of kilter with the investment and risk that the developers are putting into those projects and the funders, that it, it just scares everybody away. Why invest the billion pounds in Glasgow? And it was hundreds and hundreds of homes that were being built specifically for private rental market. 
And that would have eased a lot of the, the issues around availability of properties. It would have helped, you know, introduce hundreds of homes into the market, which would effectively stop inc the increasing in rent because, you know, supply and demand, there's more supply comes in, then there's more opportunity for those who want to rent to, 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 to have more opportunity to rent different properties. It's unlikely rent would go up as much. And the opposite has happened. What's happened is people have left the market. I, I'm selling a few properties just now. Dozens, hundreds of people have left the market or are certainly not investing in it. And all that's happened is rents have skyrocketed. And there is a rent freeze for existing tenants. But if one tenant moves out, another tenant moves in, then the rent you, the rent can change really quite significantly. 20 25% isn't unusual at this current state because the landlords then recalibrate the rent for the market. To the, to the what what the market uh, is is getting in the market, and, and that's that, that's normal all over the world, as as far as I understand. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to ask you here, and and it's on the back of a piece of news, is that the the the, the ex chief of staff to Nicholas Sturgeon, Nicholas Sturgeon was the first minister of Scotland's d d devolved parliament. And uh, th this lady says, not, not Nicholas Sturgeon, the ex-chief of staff says that S the SNP, Scottish National Party, faces its biggest challenge in 20 years. And we saw that in some local elections where basically a lot of uh, previous SNP voters just f failed to, to vote for the SNP. And that led to a bit of a sweep towards Labour. To my eyes, it looks like Keir Starmer has a very similar attitude towards governing an economy, as does Rishi Sunak. Now, wh whether or not um, either of those people are liked or not, it looks like there's going to be a sweep across the UK towards Labour. Would that be more to your liking, uh, a, a sort of a, a Keir Starmer-style Labour government in terms I mean, of economic I'm policy? Not, I'm not a fan of Keir Starmer because, one, I don't really know what he genuinely does stand for. I don't even think Keir Starmer knows what he genuinely stands for. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Labour Party. Uh, Anis Sarwar is a leader of the Labour Party in, in Scotland. I think he does quite a fair job. Um, but certainly the Labour Party would be far better than the SNP. Leaving aside, I mean, I'm, I'm not one for independence, the divisiveness, everything that comes out of their mouth. He could barely, if you, if you get the opportunity to YouTube, Hamza Yusuf's Christmas message. I think he, I think he gets about eight words out before he says the word, however, and then describes a Scotland that I can't even imagine literally like a desolate landscape where people are roaming the streets in rags, begging people with top hats for, for some money to survive the day. It's how he describes the nation that I've lived and grown up and worked in all my life. I don't recognise it. If I was listening in America to, to his Christmas message, I would think, well, that's the last place in the world I want to go and visit. And that's so he's, he's, he's not doing a good PR job then, is, is, is he? Set, oh, my goodness. He, set, he wants, the SNP want devolution to fail, devolution from the UK government. They want it to fail because the more it fails, the more that they say, and they, and they do, they, they say, uh, there's barely a week goes by, that they don't say, uh, this is what we're doing, but because our hands are, one arm's tied behind our back by Westminster and the Tories and, Brexit, uh, this is all we can do, but we would do more if we had independence. And and every time they say it, I say, thank goodness you've got one arm tied behind your back because if they had complete reins on this nation, honestly, we'd be charging towards communism, uh, way beyond socialism. They just 
cannot help themselves. They want a dependency culture. They want they want to interfere in everybody's life. They don't seem to understand that people like me and many people like me think it's a success when the government isn't interfering in your life. They see it the polar opposite. They see it their job to interfere in everybody's life, whether it be net zero, um, low emission zones, a nationalisation, an enormous public sector, underperforming public sector. And, and actually, public... let's 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 go, go on to that, that one thing there that it's, that they're interfering and saying what you should or shouldn't do with your home. One of the things that I I have noticed is that on the one hand, quite a, a few Scottish National Party supporters say the North Sea oil must be Scotland's because it's closer to Scotland, which it, which it is indeed closer to Scotland. And at the same time, a lot of SNP supporters are saying, well, actually, we shouldn't be using fossil fuels at all. So I wonder why they're so worried about losing it or sharing that resource with the whole country. Can, can you shed any light on that? Because it's one well, thing that's puzzled me a lot. Yeah. I think back in the 1970s when oil was discovered and we thought, you know, the, the, obviously the money that would flow from that. I don't I don't think Scotland has benefited as much of, from that as we should have. In fact, I would go further and say I don't think the UK has benefited as much of that uh, from what we should have. But in the 70s, that was the SNP's mantra. It's Scotland's oil. That what was going to pay for the socialist utopia that these people seem to dream of. Um it's a lot less now because obviously we're sort of coming to the, not maybe the direct end of life of oil and gas, but certainly we're in the latter stages of what that can um, generate for, for, for the nation. Um, I'm delighted to share it with the UK because the UK, uh, London Financial Services, for example, is shared across the UK. And that's that's a way bigger sector than oil and gas has been uh, over the years. So everything, I'm, I'm a unionist. I, I want the UK to succeed as it as it does and has uh, for, for centuries, then I want that to succeed. Uh, I have no issues with oil. Who the only people that are conflicted with the oil and gas sector is the SNP and the and their their uh, party, the Green Party, um, who they're in coalition with, because the Green Party don't want anything to do with oil and gas, and the SNP, um, you know, are so busy trying to tax us into oblivion with net zero, that they're conflicted. Of course they want the money from, uh, and they want the jobs, which are predominantly in Scotland. Yes, they want that. They just don't want to say it because it may, means that they can't virtue signal about net zero and uh, the climate emergency. Do you see this getting fixed by the forthcoming general election, which is supposed to be happening this year? I think is I, I think it's it's I think we're turning things around. I think that there was a perfect scenario for the SNP, which I believe we're now through. You know, we had a we have we have definitely had a dysfunctional conservative party, and I'm a natural conservative with a small C. Um, you know, I, I I believe in capitalism. Um, I believe in the free market. I believe in freedoms. Um, I believe in you know entrepreneurial and investing your money for it for the benefit of everybody. Um, so I'm a natural conservative. There's been a dysfunctional conservative party. There's been an utterly hopeless Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, Ed Miliband. All of that has just left this big chasm, a vacuum. And SNP have been smart enough to fill it. Now, Salmond was in charge of the SNP. Uh, it, it, Nicola Sturgeon was there for about eight years. Hamza's been there for about a year. So, we're, you know, if 
finished up about nine years ago. But when he was in charge uh, of the SNP in coalition in the Scottish government, I never felt embarrassed by him. I never cringed. I always thought... And you're talking strong... about Alex, Alex Salmond here, who, who was at yes. the same university as I was. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. I've uh, met him. He, he was a balanced individual. He got the basics right, and he set SNP on a, on a path that filled that vacuum away from a dysfunctional Conservative Party to a hopeless Labour Party. Um, and, you know, people have been voting Labour for 50-plus years decided that the you know Labour Party had moved away from them and people voted SNP. They've rode that they've, they've ridden their luck well. They've they've done well. Now the Conservative Party for all through austerity, etc., um, still had low interest rates, still had low inflation, effectively had full employment. There will always be four percent that won't work, always. They effectively had full employment throughout all of that period. But they just they, were, they just didn't nobody held the SNP to account and you know, the poor Scottish public who are hardworking and want to go on and have aspiration, the SNP detest that. They detest aspiration with a passion. They will never talk about aspiration because it goes again. They want people to work in public sector jobs. They want them to live in public sector housing, just like just about everybody in Scotland did 50, 60 years ago. That was the norm in Scotland. That's well, where they I'm, wanted to I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm a spy. I, I have an aspiration for you that you your business is massively successful and you become fabulously rich. And, and maybe, maybe that's not what, what you want, but I hope if you have the choice that you, you do have that choice. Uh, to, to have that. Thank you very much. Alan Quinn, he's an entrepreneur, Glasgow-based chairman, non-executive director and investor. We really appreciate your time. I'm Simon Constable. This is Constable Confidential. And that's it.